0: Hey guys, to here. Welcome back to the Warrior Pitcher podcast. Um, I'm here with uh, Daryl Coulter. And if you guys want more information on the work that Daryl and I do together, you go to warriorpitcher.com and check all that out. So, Daryl, we're going to continue our discussion uh, from last week, and we're going to talk about all the stuff that's gone in college baseball, transfer portal, NIL. It's been uh, certainly the craziest summer I've ever seen in this, in this area. So, uh, why don't you give us some kind of your initial thoughts on, on all those topics?
1: Yeah, well, I tell you what, I think, I think the fact that they're talking about these issues or now that we've seen them kind of do 180s from not paying players to to opening up the NIL, which is, again, man, I think that's just scratching the surface of, of what's really going on. And I think, again, it just depends on what what mindset I think you had going into it. If you're a purist, then you're kind of frustrated probably by what's happening. If you've been on the side that I've been working in the last 15, 20 years, and you see the amount of work that these guys put in and, and the profits that come off of these guys' work and, and the stuff they do, then, yeah, you would kind of look at it from the perspective of, okay, man, there's got to be some way with all the limitations that these athletes have and the amount of work, because I, I know you talk about it in the recruiting side all the time. These guys, these are 60-hour weeks that most of these college kids are putting easy. in.
0: They're easy. easy
1: 60. And that's, yeah. that's, that's dedicated time. That's not counting the stuff they're doing on their own, to be honest with you. So I think when yeah. we just look at it from a pure work perspective, then holy cow, man, these guys are working, you know, 15, 20 hours of overtime every week and, and, and plus doing schoolwork and all the stuff that goes with it. So I think that piece is, is a, an interesting conversation I know you and I could dig into. But for this transfer portal for baseball specific, it, it, what, what catches my eye the most is the fact that recruiting truly gets exposed, I think. I think the the way that we recruit or the way that the recruiting process has worked up to this point has now put these kids in in the mindset that they're just trying to get the attention of college coaches. And now with the transfer portal, it's really putting pressure on whether you're currently in school or whether you're trying to to get recruited that you're going to have to be able to pitch. Like the expectations have changed from – us being able to bring you on campus develop you or redshirt you your freshman year and and have a couple of years to kind of adjust to the college baseball game to now even at the D1 level, D2 level and in AIA, man, like you got to show up ready to pitch or you got to show up ready yeah. to to take a position and if not, then I think that's why the transfer portal now is full of, I, like, yeah, I've heard you report out on before, like, one out of every four D1 players is in the portal or right at it, you know, really close yeah. to that number. And that's ridiculous, man. Just to be real with you, that's yep. ridiculous. Like, yeah. the fact um, that, and, and we've all let them down if that's, you know, in if that's the current reality of where we're at. And now that they don't have the limitations on having to sit out a year and it's not just the walk-ons or the non-scholarship uh, guys or non-athletic scholarship guys, now you really put a highlight on it with everybody being able to go play immediately, and and it does. It kind of uh, opens up that scab for a lot of guys about how the recruiting process works or whether these kids that they're recruiting are really ready for that level And if not, then, you know, what you and I have been talking about and what we're working on is how do we bridge that gap? How do we take these young guys that that are committed, have the ability, have the talent, have the work ethic, have done the work, how do we really get them ready to transition from high school to to college or pro ball? And I think that's an interesting thing that you and I have been tackling, and I'm excited to, to get even deeper on that, man. So what about you? Where are you at on that?
0: Well, I you know, I agree with you. I think any player that that plays 4 years of high school baseball that's good enough to go play in college should be ready to step in and contribute in whatever way they can or at least understand what their role of contribution should be in the, maybe their first year. If they don't, to me that's that's kind of a failure of their, you know, coaching and the system that they come through, but um you no, know, so so for me, there's a couple things that have come out of it. Number one is I think it's a bubble, right? I think this yes. is this is like, you know, pioneers are everybody who rushed into the portal. Um we're gonna we're gonna start to see, I think uh December, January, you're gonna see the biggest wave of college players descending upon junior colleges and any school or NAIA's um or you know, lower level schools because you had those couple thousand players that went into the portal, and didn't land anywhere. Yes. Now, I'd imagine some of them went back to their school, but I mean, come on, I it, we don't know right now. You know, we don't know where those players are. You know, so it's almost like a girl saying she'd go to the prom with you, and then changing her mind, and then three weeks later saying, "No, I want to go with you again." You know, so yeah, a no player ent- a player entering the portal. If I'm the college coach, uh, that's kind of it. Know good luck. We're going to move on. I'm not going to. I'm not going to wait for you to go into the portal again next year, and certainly not going to invest in you too much. So, <clears throat> so I think there's going to be a huge wave. I think there's a lot of players that are going to be playing baseball in January, February, March, April that are not in school right now, and they're yeah. not going to land at. You know, I mean, there might be a few that land at bigger schools, but um, I think a lot of them are going to be scrambling for places to play. JUCO and NAIA and, and and you know people that need roster positions or, you know, what, what have you. Um, now, what I think will happen is I think the bubble will burst. So we always right. joke about delusional recruiting syndrome, right? Like, you yeah. know, you have, a, you have a kid who's, in a, you know, in his junior year who says, I want to go play, at, at, you know, LSU, Miami, Florida State. Who have you heard from? Nobody. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's it. But so now I think there's delusional portal syndrome where you have kids who saw that there's some money to be made in the portal or it looks like the grass is on the other side. They entered the portal. And the same way the guy who has delusional recruiting syndrome, he spends a lot of time waiting or hoping and then might miss a chance. I think there's a lot of guys who enter the portal thinking, I can get a better deal or there's some money to be made, and now maybe they're realizing it. Mm-hmm. So I think what you'll see yeah. after this year is you'll have the first returns right? You'll, you'll be getting in, it's almost like, like on election day, right? We're starting to see if the polls were accurate, right? Like when people actually start voting. So next year, I think Mm -hmm. there'll be a reality when you see that there were a lot of people that entered the portal and didn't land anywhere, gave up their seat, like musical chairs kind of gave up their seat and didn't find a seat. And then, then there'll be a story to tell, right? So did you you have a guy who left the division one program um, where maybe he could have built into something, went to a juco didn 't play or didn 't find a place to play or you know or got into a situation that was worse, so I think that bubble will burst, or at least I think it will a reality will kind of set in you know about what what is available in the options and then the other thing I think has to change i I think there will there will be regulation that will come to it um I think. If you're going to be making $500,000 a year on an NIL deal, um, I'm not giving you a scholarship, too. Like, you can afford college, <laughs> you know? And so I think, I think, uh, I think there will be some regulations to the amount of money that you can take. I think individual schools, individual conferences will put regulations on that amount. Um, but I also think if you're going to be making over a certain amount of money, you're not going to qualify for an athletic scholarship, which in baseball may be a good thing. Because now, let's say you're a big-time division school, your kids are—you've got your top ten kids are making enough money that they were on scholarship. Well, now that frees up all that scholarship money that you can now build out the rest of your roster. So that could be a good thing. Um, I also think it will—the the college scholarships could be divided a little bit better if there's more money there. Um, and then the other thing too is, look, this is the way it is. So. I tell I've, I've, any player that, that I've had the ear of that is in possibly, uh, you know, a situation of getting NIL money, I tell them, take it. I tell them, take it. So you can yeah. love something and hate, and hate something at the same time. I don't like it. I don't think it's good for the game. I don't think it's good for college. I think they've opened Pandora's box. I think it's going to blow up in their face. I think you're going to have some quarterback or some point guard, you know, the night before the NCAA tournament say, you know, I'm not feeling well today. But i tell you what can make me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then uh and then baseball's gotta get over it because this is the way it is. So like I gotta get over it. I don't like it but I gotta get over it. Because yeah. the guys who are barking about these kids destroying the fabric of the game and so on and so forth, well I'd like to put all of those people to that same you know, moral test of integrity. I'd like to give you a <laughs> couple hundred thousand dollars yeah, okay. to do something. Right now you're getting nothing to do it. <laughs> yeah. And now, now you can go do the same exact job and, and make a whole bunch of money. I, I would like to test everyone's, you know, kind of a, a moral compass, around, you know, in that reality yeah, of the situation. Absolutely. And, because these would all be the people that would rise above and say, "No, I'm going to put personal gain aside for the to maintain the integrity of the game." Yeah, that. <laughs> and the, and the
1: reality of it is, it's the adults in the room that have spurned this on. So. Yeah. Baseball, there might not be that much nil money in baseball yet, but I guarantee you, in the bigger conferences, the power school conferences, that where those programs actually pay for themselves and, and make a little money, they're gonna figure it out. Because you know, man, yep. you're you're a smart guy, you're a marketing guy, you understand that side of the business too at some point in time, there's going to be somebody figure out a way to monetize that. And and when they do, you can be frustrated at it or you can like say, hey, man, you know what? They figured out the game. I think the ultimate question probably is going to come down to does the rich get richer here? And And yeah. basically, outside of the power conference schools, now we've turned every other level of college baseball into like the minor leagues for the power conferences. And I think yeah. that's going to be the interesting piece is that, you know, whether you're going to have JUCO coaches or D, D2 coaches or NAIA coaches saying, Hey, man, just come in here for a year, man. We'll get you ready for the, you know, the SEC or the ACC or the Big 12 or whatever. And, and it becomes one of those like one and done college, college basketball things. And I think that's what's going to be interesting to me to see like what coaches dive into that side of the game and how that truly does affect recruiting. Because I can tell you firsthand, we got a couple of guys down here going D1, and and the conversations that I had the five, six, seven years before this to where we're at now, you're right, man. Like, we sit down and talk about the business side of it, and I I lay out the whole aspect of it. I don't, like, cherry-pick the good stuff. Like, I tell them the good, the bad, the indifferent, the expectations, and, and what, you know, how social media plays into that. And by no. there's no secrets now, man. You're not going to hide from that. If you get money or you get something, the expectations are you got to perform, man. Like you're, you know, yeah. basically become a you become a professional. And so now, the the amount of pressure that a 17, 18, 19 year old kid or young man is going to feel when you know he got 50 grand or 25 grand or 100 grand or whatever could possibly be there for baseball guys down the road. And and now they're they're you know they're two and o, or zero and two with a seven ERA after two starts. There's going to be some pressure, and there's going to be uh, yeah. a lot of you know like we talked a little bit about last week. The psychological piece of this is real, man. Like nobody wants to talk about it because you know you know the fans are the fans and the players are the players. But the reality of it is the way the administrations and coaches deal with this it's going to have a lot to do with what it looks like, like you said, a couple of years from now.
0: Yeah. And I, and I also think, I, I think you're going to see a separation. I think you're going to see, you know, teams move into a, a tier, a higher tier. I think the cream is going to rise to the top. I think it'll be a lot like college basketball where, you know, there's no kid deciding between Duke and Seton Hall. You know what I mean? He's deciding between Duke and Louisville, North Carolina, or, You know what I mean? There's there's that top tier of teams. And then um, because, like, my mom worked at Seton Hall, so I grew up kind of on that campus. But there aren't one-and-done players going to Seton Hall or to Rutgers. You know what I mean? They're They're going to Kentucky. Yeah. So I I think there's going to be a separation. I think you're going to see the cream will rise to the top. Now, I also think it's going to be the biggest boom for college baseball. I think there's going to be more players, more teams. I think long-term it's going to be good but I think it's going to take a couple of years. So the players that are listening to this that are in it now um, might take a couple of years to flush out. But, um, you know, I also feel like um, there, you know, for all the bad, um, you know, and, and I, I put that in quotes bad, but, yeah. you know, there's also, you know, what we're, what we're saying is that, but there's, there's also a ton of good. So I have a couple of coaching buddies of mine who are not taking portal players. And one of yeah. my buddies said, he says, the second I take a portal player, this is a portal school. Now, the yeah. minute I take a portal player, I've lost the other 39 guys on the roster. Because now they're all going to be wondering, am I going to bring in someone from the portal? If I bring in a yeah. freshman, you know, if i got a sophomore catcher and I bring in a freshman, that's the way it works, right? He, he, he's got a he has to earn his position. But now if I bring in someone from the portal – and I got my sophomore catcher. Am I going to bring in a sophomore catcher or a junior catcher ahead of him? Um, so now he says, "Hey, look, kids can leave," and he goes, "But I'm not taking any." Yeah. So I think I think that's going to attract the player. That's going to say, "Okay, I don't want to be. I I, I don't want to play college baseball and be in this portal game. And be, if if a freshman come and, comes and beats me out, that's one thing. Yeah, that's one thing, right? That's just he was better than you, right?" Um, but if you're recruiting my position, um, you know, just because some, a better player comes along, that's different. Now, from a pitching perspective, oof, this is going to be multiple episode podcast, yeah. but I will tell you, it's going to be, it's going to be coming down to what we've been talking about it's, it's, you're going to need some weapons and absolutely. And that, and the weapons cannot be a 95 mile an hour fastball, um, it it just cannot because remember that as players trickle up, there's gonna be players trickling down. So you get the shortstop from Rutgers and and, and, and we're not speaking specifically. I got into some trouble about something I said that somebody thought I was quoting them. Um yeah. we're not saying anything specifically, we're not talking we're just using the examples, right? So if you're if you if you're if that if if a player from um uh whatever, big time school, um you know, transfers out of a big time school to a smaller school. Well, you know, now those hitters are going to, you know, things are going to trickle up. But when when the talent trickles up, there's also going to be a lot of really good players that are going to trickle down. Because Absolutely. Absolutely. Those players trickle up; they're they're going to have to go somewhere. Their spots are being, you know, they're going to have to take a roster spot for someone trickling down. So, I think you know, having the physical tools has been something that has really been keyed upon over the last couple of years. Yeah. But now the talent is going to be so intense and so vast, that you coming in with a 90-mile-an-hour, 95-mile-an-hour fastball thinking you're going to blow heat by guys, lots yeah. of luck. And it's going to need to be everything that we've always talked about, you are the master of, which is, and this is, I'll, lead, I'll set you up, I'll tee you up with the next question, the layup for you, Darryl. Yeah. But, okay, you're a high school kid, right? Let's say you got good stuff. He's got to be, he, he, don't, he don't, not only has to be weaponized, right, he's got to know how to use those weapons he's got to know, he's got to know oh, how to use those yeah. weapons to get results because those weapons if, if he has a 93 94 mile an hour fastball y- you are nothing special on a on a college staff you you are you are nothing special and so what's going to make someone special is what you do so let's say we got a kid that's showing up yeah. um well let's let's say we got a senior right now this is what is it september september yes. 2022 you got a senior in high school. He's, he's going to be on a college campus in a year, 11 months. He's got good stuff. What, what do you need him to do from a warrior pitcher perspective to get ready to go do battle in that college? Campus? Yeah.
1: No, and I think you tapped on it, man. Like, you're touching – here's the reality of the game. It's like we, we train guys all day long down here. We do, like, we, got, we do BP in the, the machine work down here at ninety with 13, 14-year-olds, and people think, man, that's crazy. I'm telling you right now, you know this, like, hitting yeah. is timing. And if they get that front foot down and they're on time, man, they can make an adjustment. And so that's usually where I start with these guys. I'm like, hey, man, like, you got to understand what the hitter's thinking. And and a 93 is impressive. Don't get me wrong, but it's predictable. And yes. like when we sit here and become predictable, which every pitcher that I've ever worked with from college and above will tell you, their number one fear is, is that they're predictable. And well, so, them, the hold on. Th- let me
0: say this, there. Let, yep. me, let me say this. Yep. So, so if we pulled, if we pulled the average baseball person, not not like not like someone who's a coach or full time, and we say what are the what are the biggest problems with guys that throw super hard? Problem number one yep. is can't throw strike. Problem number two is can't stay healthy. And then, like you said, and because of those two things, they're unpredictable. Now, that was not a deep analysis. Those are kind of cliches about hard throwing pitchers for a reason. <laughs> you know? No question. Clichees tend extreme. to be true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. That's the exact. That's why I told people for years, like, that was my clients, man. They say, like, how do you know these people so well? I said, because the guys that are dealing don't call me. The guys that are doing yeah. really well, I don't usually, but it's the guys that threw hard that either didn't trust their their second, you know, their third pitches, which I don't even equate it like that. I tell them, hey, man, pitches are like your kids. They're all uniquely different, but we got to love them the same. And, and when sure. they truly do trust them and they start working on them the same, like we've been talking through with this Warrior Pitcher program that we're developing, like when we talk about that piece of it, these guys get it. You know, a lot of it, Paul, is that we've trained these kids from the time they're little that fastball's the most important pitch. And the reality of it is, it is until it isn't. You know, it works until it don't. And at, that, at some point in time now is really the question of, okay, when do we start mixing in these other pitches? And to me personally, I don't think it's ever too early. I think it's a matter of, can they, and what you've been talking about, does he have solid, max velocity mechanics that he trusts Mm -hmm. or high velocity mechanics he trusts. And can he consistently find that that release point? Can he get to a certain point? So now when he does mix up in and work on grips and wrists and forearm angles and all the things that he needs to do to learn to throw other pitches, that that consistency in his mechanics and that consistency with the the intent of those mechanics now can produce a repeatable action that we can mix other pitches in. So when we start right. talking about that as a practice thing, and we start talking about that practically, now we have a different attention from these pitchers. Now they see that it's not just about physical talent, that it's about the skill that I need to, to, to refine and practice to actually be able to execute pitches. And then once we get these consistent multiple pitches, and and we can consistently practice them to locations. Now we can start game planning. Now we can start looking how we study hitters and how we create a game plan going into it. And that's where a lot of the stuff that you and I have been putting together about how we transition from off season to preseason to end season and what that really looks like inside of the Warrior Pitcher Program and inside of just what it would take for one pitcher to honestly work through a year long plan to get ready for opening day. And I think that's a, that's a, a thing that you're going to see why that's so important is because of like what we talked about today, the guys that want to play at the next level are going to have to understand that in high school. Cause if, yeah. if they really want to differentiate themselves from everybody else in the recruiting process, it's going to be the guys that trust multiple pitches and the guys that, that understand how to use those pitches strategically, and and those guys are going to stand out, and I think you're going to see as, the, as people start really tapping into these one-pitch or one-weapon guys showing up on college campuses and not get to play and end up in the portal the next year, you're going to start having parents ask that question because I get it every week down here. It's like, hey, man, what does he need to do to really be ready for the college game? And it's exactly what you've been saying, man. you got to have multiple weapons. you got to have two to three pitches that you trust and, and that you'll throw in any situation and count. And, you know, that sounds kind of like, oh, yeah, Captain Obvious, but, Paul, you know as well as I do that with coaches calling pitches more now at younger ages, these kids now are just throwing what they call, they ain't really thinking through why they're throwing this pitch or where they're throwing this pitch and what they want to get that hitter to do. And it's starting to have an effect on like now, as you said earlier, it's it's trickling up into the college game. And a lot of these kids, man, when they get there are freaking out and they're just not pitching well. And I think that's some of the side effects that we're starting to see from this whole velocity, is the most important thing and Hey, I love hard throwing guys, man, but I love dudes that can pitch. Let's just get real about that piece. Yeah. And I, yeah. yeah.
0: So you remember, remember like uh, in, in the Iraq war, the first one, like in the early nineties, they, they, we developed the Patriot missile, right? I believe that's what it was called. And the Patriot missile was a missile that when somebody else fired a missile, it would, it would target in on that and blow it out of the sky. And that was, that was one of the, maybe I'm getting all the names wrong, but whatever the names are and the timing wrong, but whatever that was, that was one of the most significant, you know, um, innovations in warfare. And because here's what, here's what happened. Um, they fired that missile at, at, you know, U.S. forces, and they were all like, oh, now watch what happens now. We'll see what these guys, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, blow them up. And then all of a sudden, as they watched their missile go off, and then they saw all of a sudden this Patriot missile come out of nowhere and blow their missile out of the air. Yeah. They, all the people that were watching that who fired that missile at us, they collectively said, oh, shh.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because because their, their entire weaponry, their entire arsenal, was based on the effectiveness of that one missile. And now there was a countermeasure. And now, and so you've seen it as many times as I have. You see a kid who's, got, who's, who's bl- blowing through kids, all through travel ball, blowing smoke, throwing hard, um, and then all of a sudden he gets into a tournament when he's 14 or 15, and he rears back for that missile, and he fires it, and the kid at the plate fires a Patriot missile at it. Yeah, and, no doubt. And hits it like it's sitting on a tee and watches it like, like, like it was nothing. And then all of a sudden now that pitcher goes, now what do I do? Yes, exactly. Now what do I do? Yeah. And that's, so, <clears throat> you know, it, it, excuse me, it's in those situations where, you, you know, you have pitchers that, um, and it, well, if you're listening to this, and you know, you, 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 you don't want to get to that moment, you know, because there's nothing worse than a pitcher who's relied on one thing, and then all of a sudden that one thing, it becomes neutralized because talent gets better, kids get bigger. Yep. Like in the videos I put out like about tipping different pitches, I, I can't tell you how many kids I've, that have had changes in their mechanics when they throw different pitches. And when I say to them, I say, you know, I said, what's the biggest thing you worry about as you move up levels? And they say, better hitters. I'm like, okay, no, you're wrong. Yeah. I said, what if I'm coaching against you? And I'm coaching, I pull up with my team, and, and you're pitching. I said, when do you think I pick apart that head moving out on your curveball? Or you going soft? on your changeup, even when you take your sign. I don't know if you saw the video. That way, The one kid that I had, we looked at his video. When he took his fastball sign, his lips were clenched. Yeah. When he took his changeup oh, yeah. sign, he, he, he opened his mouth ever so slightly. So I said, when do you think I know about the change in your curveball? And, 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 and I've had every kid say, I don't know, a couple innings. I said, before you leave the bullpen. No doubt. <laughs> no, and that, We've already that, had that... a strategy against. You. And, and they, I'm telling you, they're, they're shocked. Shocked, yep. and I said, now because I know when you're throwing your curveball, I just neutralized your best pitch, your fastball. And if you got a bunch of kid kids who've played some travel ball, and I don't care how hard your fastball is, if they're keying on it and they know it's coming, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, lots of luck, yeah,
1: yeah. In yeah. any level, when you start leveling up and playing against competition that's good as better, as good or as be- or that is better than you then that differentiation right there is the game, Paul. That's the cool thing about yeah. it once you, like, make this mindset shift. Because I think that's the reality of it is, too, man, as, as I know you want to wrap this up. It's like this is a mindset shift that happens first. When you decide that, hey, I'm going to trust all my pitches and I'm going to work on them, and now that's going to give me a strategic advantage, that first shift has to happen in your thinking. And when you get the thinking right, then, man, you'd be amazed of what happens in practice, what happens with our bullpens, and what happens now when, because the reality of it is, I tell guys that trust in a pitch is just a choice. Once they learn the grip, the wrist and forearm angle, and they understand the release point and they get the movement they want, after they keep working on that pitch, the reality of it is throwing it in the game is just a choice is now, hey man, am I gonna trust this pitch and throw it in the game? And I think that, that right there is what's gonna be the breakthrough that you've been working on that we've been tying together with this Warrior Pitcher program, that these guys are gonna see that how they think absolutely shows up in how they pitch and then everything else that we're trying to help them introduce and in, and and intertwine into their game. And I think it's gonna be a fun conversation that we're having.
0: So what so what what did so go back to that kid who's now you know, senior, going to be a year, like, what would be, where where would you direct his focus now? Like, so in in 11 months, I'm going to be on a college campus facing college hitters every day.
1: Yeah, the first conversation I have with them is like, hey, walk me through your decision-making process on how do you decide what pitch you're going to throw. And, Mm -hmm. like, that's the the conversation I have with them. It's like, because I want, I, I have them assume that no coach is going to call their pitches, that it's between them and the catcher to get the job done, and when they're standing on that rubber staring in and getting a sign, what is actually going through their mind? Like what, how are they thinking and what are they thinking that's guiding their decision-making process? And that's usually when the aha moment happens. Because I'll also ask them, like, hey, man, when you're struggling, what, what is that thought that's killing you on the mound? And they always tell me 99% of the time that the hitter knows what's coming. Yeah. yeah. And, like, That's it. And when they feel predictable, now all of a sudden they get tense. Now all of a sudden they start hyperventilating or their brain starts looking for an answer. And it's exactly what you were talking about earlier. It's like, hey, man, if you got multiple pitches that you trust, if you got multiple weapons that you could use, then you don't feel like you get uh, in that bind as much as the kids that don't. So sometimes they throw ball one and, and they think that hitter knows what's coming. Now they get tense. They lose velocity. That ball straightens out. All the things that made them special, when they get to negative counts or 1020 counts, now all of a sudden they don't have the same quality of fastball they did when it was 00, or when they're ahead in the count. And that's the stuff that we got to eliminate. We got to make sure that that consistency and the ability to execute them pitches is something that we can do ahead in the count and neutral counts or behind in the count, and that we really believe it, man. That we trust it.
0: You know, almost as you're saying that, I almost feel like there's kids who the first pitch that they're throwing in an OO count, they're almost behind in the count because they're throwing that pitch in a way to not get behind. You know, like like their mind their mind is almost in this pitch better be I better make I better get ahead because I can't pitch from behind. And in a way that's a little bit it feels offensive, but it's really defensive
1: absolutely and i'm telling you right now paul that is over the years and the, all the pro guys that i've had private one-on-one confidential conversations with there's probably 50 or 60 percent of them when i first met them and and started building that relationship that's exactly what they would tell me that if they didn't yeah. get ahead that first pitch they felt like they were going to walk the guy that's like that was what their number one struggle was and so when we started getting through the second time through the order especially with the starters when you start getting that second time through the order and, you, you know, you really only trust your fastball, then that's usually when we were getting in trouble, either in the third or fourth inning, and these guys were just, you know, they would have one or two good innings and couldn't get through the second time through the order. And as a starting pitcher in pro ball, that's a good way to get released. That's, that's yeah. the fastest way yeah. for your career to end right there or become a reliever in a hurry. And I think that's, you know, that's a real conversation that you're starting to see trickle down into college and in high school level. And I think that's one of the big things that you and I have been trying to tackle with the conversations we've been having. Was like, how do yeah. we address that with these younger players and not overwhelm them, but at the same time, give them the information they need so we can get them on that thinking path, that mindset shift. But let them work on their mechanics, work on the things that they need to work on at the right time of the year. So when they transition from off season to preseason to end season, that it actually fits and it, it guides them to trust in their pitches and get ready to go play in real games. And I think that's a cool part about what we've been tackling here the last few months and and I think it's gonna be uh it's gonna be fun to have this conversation with these young guys that are really because I think you're right, man, these guys are smarter than we give them credit for. And I think these kids yeah. really get it. I love working with them personally. I think these kids are smarter than we are. I need any kid that. They just need the right information. And they need yeah. the logic to you be know, able to process it.
0: Yep. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote down, and this and this is something we'll integrate into, into Warrior, mm-hmm. is that, you know, in, in, in recruiting, I tell the kids, assume it's going to come down between you and another kid, right? Just assume that. And, like, yeah. let's play the game like it's going to be, Let's give the coach, in that decision-making position, he's looking at two profiles on the screen, um, let's assume it's going to come down to that, and let's give that coach 100 reasons to pick you over the other kid. Absolutely. Uh, and so, yep. so this is like, this will probably be something we'll expand upon, but I wrote down, you know, assume your fastball is going to get ripped in every game. Yeah. Let's assume that, that you're, going to, you're going to get ripped. And if you go into that and you say, "Okay, let's 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 game plan as if my fastball is going to get ripped, it's going to be taken away from me," that's a whole different thing. That's a, a completely different game plan to enter into, versus I'm going to go in there and just blow smoke, and I'm going to hope that you know yeah. I just have enough yeah. smoke to to counter out uh, you know um, what's yeah. against me. So yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt, I mean,
1: man. and I think. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say you're dead on, man, and I think that's the thing, man. This this hope, hope and a prayer pitching has got to stop. These kids, these kids yeah. can think their way through it, and we strategically need to the help them, man. But I think it, I think that's what we're trying to tackle. It's cool.
0: And I'd also just like to point out that like right now, that the that all the hype around velocity and pitch, that that there's there's a hitter having what might be the greatest offensive season, certainly in the last ten or fifteen years. And <laughs> oh, yeah. judge, and so he yeah he is unfazed. <laughs> yeah, and, dude, and and I
1: think that's the pe- and I think that's the real piece, man. To wrap this up, it's like velocity is important only if you could use it. That's why I tell guys, man, yeah. it, it, if if you're predictable, man, then it's it it it's it's more frustrating. To be totally honest with you, because when you can throw ninety three and the guy can turn on it. Now, the only thing that you put all your faith in is gone, dude, that kid usually crashes. The guy that's got two or three yeah. pitches is like, okay, this kid can turn on my fastball, and I'm going to have to mix in some other pitches. I can still use my fastball, but this guy just can't get comfortable on my fastball and sit on it. He's going to be a more effective pitcher, and that's the, that's the reality of where we're at, man, and it's fun. I want you to throw as hard as you can, but I want you to be able to use it off of your other pitches.
0: Yeah. All right, man. Let's put this one on the runway. Um, for you guys, who want more information, go to thewarriorpitcher.com and you can see everything that Daryl and I are working on. And Daryl, I will. We'll talk next week, man.
1: Yes, sir. Appreciate it, Paul. Have a good one. All day.
0: right. You too, man. See ya. All
1: Bye. right.